Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. As Dave said, we're going to be starting a long series on the life of David. And uh, this opening session really is, why should you commit to come on these cold January, February mornings and learn about the life of David? And that's what we're going to look at this morning and uh, touch on this morning. Uh, one other connection. Uh, I'm sure Jade did not mean that you should watch the video of missionaries while we're having our opening service. <laughs> Acts chapter 13, we're going to pick it up at verse 21. He's ta- uh, Peter's, re- or uh, Paul was recounting the history of Israel here. Verse 21, then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After he, God, had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, according whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course... He kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, whose sandals, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which were, are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled This promise to our children in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. We're looking at the life of David. The life and legacy of David. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we we look into your word that you would be pleased uh, to minister to us. And so we ask for your blessing uh, during this morning time. And that you, not me, but you, through your voice, through your spirit, would speak to hearts. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. David and the Lord Jesus are connected. We're going to see that again and again as we we look through David's life. Sometimes David's going to speak, as we're, we're going to learn this morning, about the Lord Jesus. He was a prophet, as Peter says here. Other times we're going to see a, a kind of a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus in, in the life of David. But there are two phrases in this uh, portion of Acts 13 that uh, we need to look at. And the first is... Uh, found there in verse 22, he was a man after God's own heart. That describes the character of David's life. God himself said, David is a man after my own heart. And then when you come over to verse 36, he says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. David served the purpose of God. He was useful to God. He did what God wanted done in David's generation. And these are these two truths. That that is his legacy. That is uh, what he he did. That's God's evaluation of, of David's life. Is that what you want for your life? Do you want God to view you as someone who shares his own heart? Do you want to be a person that at the end of your life you can say, God used me for his purposes in my generation? Well, that's who David was. And we're going to have an opportunity uh, to look at David's life. Usually I don't like giving real long quotes, um, but I have a long quote by Chuck Swindoll. I'm going to put it on the screen and, and read to you. Chuck Swindoll decided to do a series of biographical books on on different people in the Old Testament. The first one he chose was David, and he said of all of them, David's has been the most that people have responded to. And in that book, he says this of David, the only one in all of Scripture to be called a man after God's own heart, This single individual is mentioned more than any other Old Testament character in the pages of the New Testament. Poet, musician, courageous warrior, and national statesman, David distinguished himself as one of God's greatest men. Now, sometimes when you copy something, you skip over a line. And there's a missing line here. I'll read it to you, and then I'll I'll go on. In battle... He modeled invincible courage. In decisions, he judged with wisdom and equity. In loneliness, he wrote with transparent vulnerability and quiet trust. In friendship, he was loyal to the end. Whether a humble shepherd boy or an obscure musician before King Saul, he remained faithful and trustworthy. Even in his promotion to the highest position, In the land, David modeled integrity and humility. What a man of God. But as we shall see, he, like us, was anything but perfect. Having earned the public's trust and respect, he forfeits it all in a brief season of sensual pleasure. Then as the consequences kick in, we discover another side of the man's makeup. Lustfulness as a husband 
weakness as a father, partiality as a leader. It's all there, written for all, note these words, for all to learn, preserved for all to remember. A great man, though far from perfect, nevertheless lived a life with strengths worth emulating. Since our world is desperately in need of models worth following, here is one deserving of our time and attention, David, a man of passion and destiny. That's quite a quote. And Paul's two statements about David are impressive, especially since a man after God's own heart is a quote of God's own testimony. So how do we know David is important? Well, Swindoll mentioned a number of things, but let's, let's check it out. He is mentioned 1,118 times in 28 different books of the scripture. In fact, David is the most written about Old Testament biblical character. Just to compare, Abraham only has about a third, 307 times in 27 books. Moses has about two-thirds of the references that David has, 804 times in 31 books. He has 66 chapters of the Old Testament um, about his life with 59 different references in the New Testament. In Psalm 2, 23, uh, or 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, David refers to himself as the sweet psalmist of Israel. David is the author of at least 75 of the 150 psalms. 73 of the psalms in the book of Psalms are entitled uh, A Psalm of David, and another two, not bearing such a title, are quoted and ascribed to David in the New Testament, Psalm 2 and Acts 4, Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4, 7. So David wrote some of the word of God. Would you not like to have Psalm 22, as we heard this morning, Psalm 23, some of the other great Psalms of David? as God used David and spoke through David. God's statements, um, it, David was Israel's greatest king, and he actually is God's standard and role model for subsequent kings. I give you several examples up there where if you go and, and when God gives his, his uh, statement about this king, he always compares him to David. He did like David, or he didn't do it all like David. David was the measure of the kings of uh, Israel. Here are a few statements when God spoke to those kings. I'm going to go with the second one first, um, 1 Kings 9.4. This is God's promise to Solomon. He said, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness. That's how David walked integrity of heart and uprightness, and if you walk that way, I'll extend your kingdom. I'll bless your kingdom. A number of years later, the 1 Kings 11.33, we read God's judgment on Solomon. He said of Solomon, he walked not in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, observing my statutes and ordinances, as his father David did. Solomon fell short. And so God takes 10 of the tribes away uh, from him. 
the first king of Israel, uh, Jeroboam, God writes of him in 1 Kings 14.8, sends a prophet, uh, sends word by a prophet, yet you have not been like my servant David, who followed me with all of his heart to do only that which was right in my sight. And so here, God uses David as his standard, and he tells the other kings, this is the standard, David. And he judges them for falling short. David's importance is also seen in in his role as a prophet. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, in verse 1, he's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. In verse 2, David said, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And in Acts 2.30, Peter says of David, because he was a prophet, David predicted Christ's resurrection. But David also predicted the Lord's betrayal, his death, and his ascension, as well as Israel's present spiritual blindness. All of those things, God spoke through David and gave the prophecy that these things would happen. He's referenced not only by the gospel writers and Paul, Uh, but also by the Lord, uh, James, and Stephen. But the importance of David is always related to his heart. Notice God's statements on David. A man after my own heart. We'll see that next week there in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. One who walked in God's commandments and was doing what was right in his sight. A man of integrity of heart, uprightness, following God with all of his heart. God says the key to David was his heart. And we're going to find that there are four times when David almost destroyed his ability to do God's purposes in his lifetime. And every time, it started with an attack on his heart. And he came out of it because of a right response of his heart. And you know what? 3,000 years have passed, and Satan has not changed his attacks. He wants your heart. And if he can attack your heart then he's got your life. And so God gives us this wonderful workbook of the life of David and says, you want to be a man after my own heart? Here's how it happened. Here's how it developed. Here's how he struggled with it. Here's how he overcame the attacks to take his heart away from me. And he gives us an opportunity to, in the life of David, see a hands-on course on how to be a man or woman after God's own heart and then be a person that does God's purposes in your generation. You know, I I thought about putting a slide up comparing David and Solomon. And as mankind looks at David and Solomon, uh, you would say Solomon was greater. I mean, David had a kingdom. Solomon had the greatest kingdom the nation of Israel ever saw. David made preparations to build a temple. Solomon built the most glorious temple Israel ever had. 
And, and you go right down the list, and it looks like Solomon's greater, Solomon's greater. But he wasn't because of his heart. And so I think this is an important study. And we want to stop and talk about the importance of the heart. This was a lesson David learned, and it became a priority in his life. And the scriptures repeatedly emphasize this truth. In 1 Samuel 15, 7, next week we'll, we'll see this. Samuel comes in, he's told out of the family of Jesse, God's going to have a new king to take the place of Saul. And he sees Eliab, David's oldest brother. And he's so impressed with Eliab. He says, certainly, this is the Lord's anointed. And God spoke in rebuke to Samuel and says, no, he's not. For God sees not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord Jesus made the same point in Luke 6.45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Your heart is key to your words. Your heart is key to the course of your life. So Solomon wrote, in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the issues of life. Another version translates that last passage, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart. So Solomon says, guard your heart. In fact, Solomon, when God was speaking to him uh, in 1 Kings 3.9, prayed, so give your servant an understanding, literally a hearing heart. But then we read later that Solomon's wives, even though he was warned uh, previously about that, uh, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And notice these words, his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. See, Solomon's heart had become deaf to God's voice. And that's deadly. And so God says, listen, the lesson of David is important. So I decide to do a little side study. And I decide to look through all 75 Psalms of David and see how many times the word heart shows up. It shows up a bunch. And we're just going to look at a few um, that seemed to, to epitomize what David wanted his heart to be, where David felt the priority of his heart would be. Psalm 57, 7. My heart is fixed, new versions say, steadfast. This is also found in Psalm 80. Actually, Psalm 80, um, uh, the first few verses are exact quote of, of Psalm 57, 7 to 11. Um, David says, I want my heart to be resolutely, steadfastly determined to trust, serve, and praise God. I want it to be fixed. 
I want God to be my resting place, my refuge. And so in Psalm 57, we won't turn there. Uh, He says in verse 4, my soul is among lions. This is after David has fled from Saul. That's why we're going to put some of the Psalms in with this message that are related to particular times of David's life because the historical narrative doesn't always tell us exactly what's going on in David's heart. But then we go to the psalm and you hear this. And and David said, I'm fleeing for my life from from David. I can't trust a single person around me. My my soul is among lions. In verse 6, his enemies have prepared a net for his steps and dug a pit before him. But in verse 1, David says, my soul takes refuge in the shadow of God's wings. And in verse 2, he takes refuge in the God who accomplishes all things for him. David's heart has found a true resting place and refuge, and it's the Lord. He will say in Psalm 28, verse 7, my heart trusts in him, and I am helped. At the end of Psalm uh, 108, he says, For deliverance by man is vain. Through God we will do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our enemies. After David had sinned with Bathsheba, and he wrote Psalm 51 about that experience, he said, Create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. I want to come back to where that resolute determination to make you the center of my life, my refuge, my resting place, the one I trust in, I want that restored to my life because it slipped away. So easy for things to slip away from our heart. And so David said, this is one of the things I want. I want my heart to be fixed steadfast in psalm 40 he says i delight to do your will your law is within my heart in psalm 37 31 he describes the righteous as those who have god's word within their heart david took god's word seriously you know when you think about the difficulties david had accessing the word I mean, once every seven years, they would read the Pentateuch uh, on, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, there was a, a rule that every king was to write out the Pentateuch, so he had his own copy. Whether David did that or not, I don't know. But there weren't <laughs> dozens of versions. He, and not everybody in Israel had a Bible in their home. But David said, I've made it a point that God's law is within my heart. And what a challenge to us who have easy access to the word of God. David said, if I want my heart to be fixed on God, be able to trust his character, be able to do what he wants me to do, I have to know his book. Ken did such a good job last week talking about the necessity of being in the word of God. And certainly... David would agree with that. In Psalm 86, 11, he said, I will walk in your truth. And to walk in God's truth, you got to know what it is. And so David gave priority 
to the word of God, of making sure it was in his heart. He would agree with the psalmist in 119 who says, how shall a man, young man cleanse his way by taking heed to his word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. David would, would, would agree with that. Psalm 8611, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. David wanted to live for God with undivided loyalty. Spurgeon translates this passage or paraphrases it. Having taught me one way, give me one heart to walk therein. Three times in his psalm, David said that he would give thanks to God with his whole heart or all of his heart. Psalm 9, 1, 86, 12, 138, 1. He wanted to wholeheartedly follow and praise the Lord. Unlike Solomon, who we read earlier, God said, Solomon, you were not wholly devoted to me. He says, listen, I want you to give me an absolutely wholeheartedly loyal heart to you. That's what my heart's desire is. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at um, David and Goliath. And, you know, you don't want to steal anybody else's thunder. But could God call you something to do something? And you could die if God wasn't true? That's what David did. <laughs> Wholeheartedly devoted to the reputation and the glory of the God of Israel, he walked out there and faced someone I don't want to face. Okay? Shaq's big enough. Shaq's this guy's little brother. God may call you to missions. You could die out there. You could be buried out there and never heard of again, serving God in absolute obscurity. A heart that's absolutely, wholeheartedly God's. David said, that's, that's what I want my heart to be. In Psalm 51, verse 17, David wrote, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In Psalm 34, 18, David uses the same terms. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed or contrite in spirit. The opposite of these terms would be arrogant and stubborn. In Psalm 131, Verse 1, David says, O Lord, my heart is not proud. David kept his heart tender and responsive to God's voice. He cultivated a humble, teachable heart. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful, literally, way of pain in me. And lead me 
in the everlasting way. God, I want you to search my heart. I want you to show me exactly what's in my heart and help me to be a person who turns from that and turns to you. Do you really want to know what's in your heart? David says, God, I want to be open with you. I want you to show me what's in my heart because I want to download debris and anything that will keep me from being wholly yours. Psalm 7, verse 10. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. This idea of upright in heart is also found in Psalm 11, 2, 32, 11, 64, 10. The word translated upright means to go straight. It's used of David in 1 Kings 3, 6. David walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you, Solomon said to the people. Uprightness uh, means to walk a straight line. It's walking in line with God's truth. Uprightness of heart is living that way because that's your heart's desire. Do you want to obey God? No, we, we obey God, but is that your heart's desire? If, if nobody's around, nobody can see, it gets deleted. David said, I want to have a heart to do your will to walk a straight line with your truth all the time. That's my heart's desire. Psalm 24, 4, he says, Who's the one who can stand in God's holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. In Psalm 15, 2, Who can abide in God's tent? The one who walks with integrity, works uprightness, and speaks truth in his heart. In Psalm 141, verse 4, David prays, Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. God, stop me short if I start inclining my heart to something evil. It's going to pull my heart from you. David knew the importance of the heart. So as we begin this study, having looked at David's heart, how about your heart? Okay? Where's your heart this morning? Is it resolutely determined to trust, serve, and praise God? God, I'm going to walk out of this place and I'm resolutely determined to be your man, your woman in whatever I face this week. I want to be determined to trust you, to serve you, to praise you. I want my heart to be fixed, steadfast. Is it being daily filled with the word of God? That's a real easy one to judge. Some of these others aren't as easy. 
Are you taking in the word of God regularly so you can walk in his truth because you know his truth? You can trust his character because you're learning about his character. As Ken said last week, uh, would you really like a doctor who's never studied medicine? Let me do surgery on you. You don't. If you want to walk in his truth, there's got to be a commitment to being in his word. Is it committed to being wholeheartedly following the Lord? Some of the things the Lord asks are difficult. And we're going to see that in David's life. And the thing that kept David in those moments when he teetered on the prefaces of losing everything was in that moment he wanted God more than people not knowing about his sin. He wanted God more than whatever it was. Or he clang. We're, we're going to see times where David in his Psalms is going to cling to God's word in a desperate situation. He's going to cling to a promise of God. Is it a humble and teachable heart? Or are we arrogant? Are we like Solomon? God's voice has gotten fainter and fainter and fainter. And now we don't hear it at all. We sit in church. David said, God, don't make me deaf. Is it a heart that from your heart desires to live in line with God's word? About a hundred years after David had died, God sent his prophet Hanani to speak some words to Asa, who was now king of Judah. And these are the words he said. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See, God's still looking for some men and women who have a heart after his heart. It's still a great desire of God's heart. And as I said before, David's life is a workbook to understand what these things mean, what they look like, and how to go about making them true in your life. So if you're sitting here this morning and you say, I really would like my heart to be a heart after God's own heart. I really, at the end of my life, or when the Lord Jesus comes, have him say, you were a man who fulfilled my purposes in your generation. This would be a good study. If you're here and those two things are not true, ask yourself why that is. What are you desiring more than the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we fool ourselves about our hearts. But I'm thankful that you know our hearts. And we can ask you to search our hearts and reveal our hearts to us. So I pray that you, during the study of David, it would be a heart-searching time for each one of us, even all of us who speak from the platform, myself included. Lord, may we be a people who know you, love you, have a heart for you, and are usable for you to those around us, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.